Welcome to TLD Talks, where we share insights about key legal and business matters that are impacting SMEs today. Bringing together experts from a range of backgrounds, we will be tackling the issues that matter to you. I'm Ed Simpson, CEO of The Legal Director, and I'm joined on today's podcast by my fellow director, James Malander. Hello, James. Hello, Ed. Hello, everyone. Could you just give a little bit of background about the practice that you had when you were advising clients? When, when I was uh, practicing, uh, one of the main things I did for my clients was provide guidance and advice, particularly for UK-based retailers, on their real estate expansion strategy. So I was advising retailers on their strategy to acquire properties across the world, Hong Kong, Singapore, Germany, Russia, indeed, um, and particularly America. And, And what really struck me was how different each of those jurisdictions were to to operate in and the barriers that were put in front of the uh, retailers to enable them to trade effectively essentially the same goods. One of the reasons I'm so interested in what David has to say. And we're going to be having a chat with David Wall of Unaterra. Unaterra is one of a number of businesses that we work with at TLD that provide services that are complementary to ours. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hi, Ed. Hi, James. So, David, for the benefit of our listeners, could I ask you to introduce yourself and introduce Unaterra and give us an overview of the services that you provide to your clients? Sure, no problem. Um, So, Unaterra is a UK headquartered business. We're private equity backed. We operate in the global expansion space. So, typically, we work with fast growth businesses, organizations that are looking to create a footprint internationally. So that could be one person in Spain or 100 people in the Philippines, and they just don't know how to do it. Most of our customers operate in uh, multiple jurisdictions. We offer a range of services. So first people on the ground. So do they need to set up a uh, a local entity in a particular country? Or can they uh, solution it via a different means, whether that's a payroll registration or a, a PEO service? We do all of their local tax registrations. We run their international payrolls. We provide a completely outsourced international HR service, and we do all their accounting and tax compliance. So in essence, Ed, they're able to focus on their their own business in their domestic market and concentrate on growing revenue in the particular location that they are are looking to enter into. Fantastic, David. And I'd I'd like to start off really with sort of looking back over the last two years and obviously the significant impact that all of us felt from the pandemic. What's been the impact on your clients? So businesses looking to expand into new markets, expand overseas. From where we are now, are your clients optimistic looking looking forward? Are they still cautious? So if if we take our our current customer base. We work with or partner with about 200 customers in roughly about 70 different countries. 75% of our customers are North American headquartered. And just by their very nature, they're optimistic. Apart from you know, certain sectors that have been really hit by the pandemic, so Bricks and mortar retail. So, you know, a couple of customers we work with, you know, they had software in shopping malls and in stadiums, which obviously weren't able to be filled. 
most of our customers have either done okay or thrived in the pandemic. In terms of the the remaining side of 25% of our customers, which are either UK or rest of the world, probably a bigger impact on our UK customers was Brexit. The, the appetite for UK businesses to look international now has really been noticeable from our perspective over the last couple of years. And we've seen a lot more UK headquartered businesses coming to us and saying, how do we set up in France? You know, what does it actually mean from a permanent establishment risk or a getting set up? We have seen definitely in the UK a real uptick in the level of interest post-Brexit in terms of you know, looking to go into new international markets. Can I just pick up on that last point about the, the impact of Brexit on UK-based businesses? Are you seeing particular jurisdictions in the EU as being favoured by UK businesses looking to get a footprint in the EU? So it very much depends on the business or the sector that they're in, and there's no real trends. We've seen a lot of UK businesses looking to access North America. And then more around UK businesses just trying to understand what it means to manage people in mainland or Eastern Europe, you know, what the implications are from a, a compliance standpoint, you know, whether it's payrolling, whether it's accounting, just making sure that if they if they do decide to hire salespeople or engineers, you know, what's the impact in terms of their, their risk and their, and their compliance regimes at HQ? David, thanks for that. I, I just not necessarily wishing to dwell on the pessimistic. Ed's mentioned, and you've been uh, very articulate on two large scale shocks to the world economy, the pandemic, um, and certainly in the UK terms, Brexit as well. Are you seeing a response from your clients to the conflict in Ukraine at the moment? Uh, are your clients hedged to Eastern Europe or Russia in particular? So we've had two customers take a decision to withdraw from their operations in Russia. One was an Asian headquartered business and the other was a UK business. They took those decisions pretty much you know, as the sanctions were being rolled out. But in terms of the Ukraine, uh, Eastern Europe and wider mainland Europe, we're not seeing any impact at all. Obviously, it's a bit of a, let's see what happens with Ukraine. You know, hopefully it ends as soon as possible, but it's, um, we're not seeing any material impact in terms of businesses operating in that region. Russia actually has never been, it's not been a popular location for our customer base for, for probably maybe five or 10 years, actually. David, you mentioned when we were talking about the impact of the pandemic and Brexit, you mentioned governance and some of the issues that your clients face when they're establishing a presence overseas for the first time. Are there any common pitfalls that you see clients falling into and maybe not realising to start with that you have to put in place potentially new governance structures? I think certainly with our US customer base, if you, if you take hiring workers in the US, there is an, an employment at will model. It largely permeates right across the state. So, you know, if you hire somebody today, you've got them working with you for three or four years and you decide that you don't want them, then effectively you can get rid of them. I think the, the education piece around US customers is the landscape is different, both in the UK and in almost every other country around the world where there's 
employment rights, there's obligations on the employers. So that's a real education piece that we have to take our customers on that journey around. And then one of the things that we we often get into conversations around is making sure that customers understand whether there's going to be a taxable presence in a particular jurisdiction. So permanent establishment risk. And that is a conversation that we often get involved in just to make sure that if you are going to set up an operation in, in Germany or, or Spain or Italy or any, anywhere else for that matter, you know, you really understand what you're getting yourself into from a, a social security standpoint, from a corporate tax perspective, so that ultimately when you are generating revenues and all the numbers are starting to look good, you don't have to then get hauled in front of the CFO at some point later down the line because you've got a huge corporate tax exposure. So picking up on employment issues, one of the things that we're hearing constantly from from our clients and from other business owners that we talk to in the UK is how difficult the jobs market is at the moment. Pretty much everybody we speak to tells us that it's their number one issue, their number one problem at the moment is finding talent. Are you seeing the same in overseas territories? I think this is a global phenomenon, Ed. Uh, you know, if I, even if we look at our own business, you know, just retaining talent is become harder and harder. But certainly with tech businesses, the competition for talent was already challenging. But the current climate has, um, has just made it much more competitive across the board. You know, allied to that, a lot of people have taken stock now and, and they've up sticks and decided to go and live somewhere else. And there's a whole movement around the remote working, which plays in to um, both employers and employees' hands, but creates a whole set of problems around how do you build a culture around remote working. We are seeing a ferocious competition in terms of talent. We see it our own, in our own business and we see it across our customer base. Just picking up on that, looking more widely at another phenomenon that's come out of the pandemic, where we're probably all in agreement that hybrid working here in the UK is set to stay permanently. I'd be interested in your views on that first, David, actually. I think it is here to stay. And for us as a business, um, I think if you get the balance right, I think it's a great model, but also it gives employees flexibility. In terms of the wider global phenomenon that we're seeing around hybrid working, there's lots of different commentary on it, and businesses are going to have to make their own decisions about what works best for them. It it enables businesses to throw the net much wider in terms of their hiring, whereas I think pre-COVID, everybody was quite stayed in their ideas, whereas now, you know, if you want to hire a software engineer in Brazil, you just go out and do it. David, I was struck by you mentioning culture and how businesses build culture when they're adopting a hybrid working environment. It's something we've been doing at TLD, working, in fact, entirely remotely for for many years now. And culture is one of the things that's really important for us. And it's really difficult to do, to build an identifiable culture amongst a remote workforce. Is that something that you help your clients with? What do you see amongst your client base, those that do it well, those that don't do it so well? So we don't offer that as a service, 
But I think the key is to be creative now, really creative. Don't ask me what really creative looks like, you know, whether it's being creative around working environment, whether it's around the selection of benefits, whether it's flexible benefits. It's not just about salary anymore. It's a, it's a real critical path to get the culture right. It's one of those things that takes many years to build and, and to get right. Of course, we've had, we've had employees that have left, but it's really important that we understand when they do their you know, departure interviews that we listen really carefully as to why. Yeah, and I, I think for us, taking the time to understand what people are trying to achieve with their careers and and helping them to do that and making them feel part of the team, but also supported. Um, thinking about Unitera, where you are at the moment as a business and where you see yourselves in the future, what plans have you got for your own expansion? So we went from a very small business in Bristol to a reasonably sized business in Bristol to a private equity-backed business in Bristol. That journey happened at pace. And now that we've had investment from private equity, the journey is really around continuing to grow, continuing to improve our customer experience. So that will involve much more tech enablement to make sure that we, we are able to deploy our services in a much smoother and efficient way. So ironing out the wrinkles in our process, going back to the culture point, making sure that everybody knows what the vision is, what we're trying to achieve, and making sure that ultimately everybody enjoys coming to work every day, but everybody understands what their role is in the organization, which ultimately, hopefully, will mean that we, we hit our key metrics and revenue numbers. And what's, what's going to hold you back, David? What are, what are the barriers yeah. for you at the moment? So working in private equity, and for anybody that's listening to this will we'll probably will appreciate this, is um, everything's got to be done at pace. There's no time to rest. It's almost uh, try things. If you fail, stop, try something else, move on. So we're constantly trying things. Some things are successful. Some things aren't so successful. You know, making sure that we, we, you know, we focus on the culture and we make sure that everybody's aware of what the ultimate goal is reiteration and education of, of our employees around what the vision and, and the values and where we're going. It's not a barrier, but it's something that you have to constantly focus on. It permeates everything we do. The other barrier is probably you've seen with, with TLD, there's always new incumbents into the market offering different kinds of solutions, different kinds of offerings. And one of the big things that's happened for us over probably the last five to eight years is the incarnation of international PEOs. So what I mean by that, in the US, for, for a long time, there's been this idea of employee leasing, co-employment, whereby you know the employer will effectively outsource the employment risk and payroll to a third party. That's been in and around the States for a very long time, and is a very successful model. Over the last sort of five to eight years, there's been lots of international PO providers come into our space, our space being the global expansion market. And they're offering all sorts of different solutions around hiring within 24 hours. You know, we can get your employees on a compliance solution. You know, some of those providers are really good. 
and some of them do provide that really sharp, crisp service. Do they provide all of the information that is required to C-suite to tick that compliance box that we talked about earlier? Maybe, maybe not. So that 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 is a um, something that we, we we're constantly keeping our eye on. We have to compete against those operators now, and um, it's made things interesting. Just um, David, looking at the top of this conversation, uh, I think you mentioned you've got um, two hundred clients, mainly originating from the US. Seventy five percent of them, I think you said, it gives you a pretty good helicopter view of the tech responses and the tech industry that's out there quite an enviable position to be in. What do you think is that the next big thing in tech? We've been quite fortunate, um, particularly Julian and myself. So Julian's my, my co-founder at Unitera. We've been particularly fortunate to be able to see some of these tech juggernauts as they come from nothing and then go global and become household names. So in terms of answering your question, James, so we see a lot of customers now that are doing clean energy tech, lots around environmental energy efficiency. Uh, so lots of investment in that. And then transportation, so electric cars, drones, planes. That's kind of the area that we're seeing, a lot around you know, environmental, sustainability, clean tech, and um, transportation and logistics. Mm, interesting, yeah. I can see a, a huge amount of logic in that, actually, and, and a massive market as well. And just picking up on that, where are you investing in tech for Unaterra? What what sort of tech tools do you use at the moment and how do you see those improving? We invest a lot in collaboration tools. So because our customers are either five or eight hours behind the UK, largely, we need to make sure that we can collaborate them as best as possible. And then low touch point payroll technology. So our core activity is international payroll. So where we want to get to is, is clean interfaces where our customers are inputting data. They get the information in, we push it back, they approve it, and then we pay the employees. We're trying to make the journey of having international operations as easy as we can. And that's where we invest our money. Fascinating, fascinating. You clearly offer a really wide range of of services. Is, is there a list of, of services that you don't offer at the moment that you'd like to be able to? So when we first started out, Ed, I, I, as you guys will know, I'm a lawyer by background. Julian is a, a, an accountant. We try to be all things to all men. As you start to mature your business and evolve it, you realize that you can't be everything to everybody. We've now got an identity and we now have a profile of, of core products and services that we offer. We, you know, we very often get asked to provide, in quotes, legal services, so really low-level stuff, but, but it's stuff that's really valuable to our customers. So it might be setting up an entity in a particular country. But where we draw the line is contentious work and T's and C's, data protection, e-commerce, legal services is absolutely a service that we'd love to offer, but we've recognized that we, we can't. And hence, you know, we have relationships with, with, with organizations like TLD. 
that uh, expression of trying to be all things to all men, I certainly recognize from, from our early days as you mature and as a business and you understand what you're best at and what your USP is, that's what you need to be focusing on. So David, just to finish off what's been a really interesting discussion, if a UK business were to come to you, um, small, growing, ambitious um, expansion in its plans, overseas expansion, what would be the, the top three tips that you would give to a, to a business? So I think the first thing that businesses need to do is that I think there's some research that needs to be undertaken internally to get a sense of the challenges, whether it's, you know, setting up an operation, owning employees, payrolling people, get a, get a high level view. The second thing is that there needs to be alignment internally about what you are trying to achieve as a business. And then the third thing is the small things become the big things. So you need to work with an organization that actually has walked this walk and not just talk the talk. Whether it's Unitera or somebody else, you, you know, you need to have a guiding hand. Compliance is a big thing, especially if you're investor-backed. When you get to an exit or there's a sale at some point, you need to be squeaky clean. So do it right first time. Fantastic. Thank you. David, that's been a really useful insight into your world and your business. And thank you very much for joining us. That brings us to the end of the podcast. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, James. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you enjoyed our discussion today, you can subscribe to our monthly TLD Talks covering a wide range of legal and management topics. You'll find details on our website, thelegaldirector.co.uk, and you can also find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you'd like to know more about the wider work of The Legal Director, then do give us a call on 020 3053 8613 or visit our website.